Coming to you from the Eminem Studios in beautiful Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee, Jabaloo Enterprises is proud to present the Health and Humor Show with your hosts Maureen Sullivan and Kevin Michaels. A mix of humor, education, and entertainment that we hope will amuse, educate, and enlighten you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another installment of the Health and Humor Show for the week beginning April 3rd, 2022. This is your co-host, Maureen Sullivan, and the better half of the team that needs no introduction. Okay, and no introduction it is. (laughs) You should jump in right away. Kevin Michaels, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you're listening. Yes, welcome back to another week. we got a special show coming up for you today. Uh, We've got a very, very good, uh, very important interview that we'll be introducing here shortly. But as always, we'll get started off with our sponsors and our lame joke of the week. Okay, just a reminder, we are coming to you on the platform podbean.com. So it is a healthandhumorshow.podbean.com. We have a special shout out of thanks and appreciation to the teams at UKHealthRadio.com, home of Health Triangle Magazine, and HamiltonRadio.net out of Trenton, New Jersey, with CEO and founder Gene Piero. Both of those platforms cross-promote us throughout the week. So again, show them some love and check out all the 24-7, 365 arts, entertainment, education, and more being offered on both UKHealthRadio.com and HamiltonRadio.net. We are also on iHeartRadio and iTunes, Google Podcast and Audible, TuneIn, Pandora, and Spotify. We give a shout-out to the team at PedagogyEducation.com with CEO and founder Capra Garrison. That is an online uh, campus, if you will, for nurses to get their continuing education hours necessary for license renewal, specialty certification, and more. Then a shout-out to our friends at HumorOutcast.com with CEO and founder Donna Kavanaugh. And as always, a shout-out to our friends at Good Music Africa and Shakedown Radio out of Australia. And as I promise each week, I will tie it all in together on my website, MaureenSullivanRN.com, which includes tabs to books that I've written uh, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and tabs to an ongoing health blog, as well as another another show that I host, on a health-related topic called uh, veganism. So, pretty cool. Again, check it out, MaureenSullivanRN.com, for all the latest here. Okay, if you held up for all that here, the lame joke of the week, what did the tin man say when he got run over by a steamroller? Curses, foil again. Stay tuned, folks. It'll get better. I do (laughs) promise you. I do promise you. And that's one of those, uh, the reason why... We call it the uh, lame joke of the week, right? But we do appreciate people submitting <laughs> these lame jokes week after week to my website, MaureenSullivanRN.com, although many of them have requested to remain anonymous. <laughs> Wonder why. I believe that was an anonymous one as well. So, <laughs> All right. Well, before we get to our uh, interview portion of the show, I've got just one little short uh, humorous news story here for you. Uh, when getting a new pet, and this is also very topical, uh, well, been topical any time in the last two years or starting the third year, I guess. No. <laughs> so, but uh, when getting a new pet, there are many decisions that need to be made. First, you have to figure out what kind of creature you want, then the specific type or breed that matches with your lifestyle, 
And finally, you have to decide what you will be calling your new family member. Some pet owners choose a typical name like Spot or Whiskers, while others go a different route and pick something which is more unique. Well, that's the path that one new dog owner went with, but all it has gotten her is shamed. She took to Reddit to ask if she made a poor choice with the dog's name, which is, drumroll please, COVID. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> uh, the woman explained, we found a stray puppy during the start of our lockdown. It uh, started by us feeding him scraps in the back garden where we were spending so much of our time. Now he's moved in and is probably going to stay unless someone comes forward to claim him. We put a notice up in some village shops about him. We called him COVID because that's why we found him spending all of our time at home. However, it hasn't gone quite as smooth as they wished. She said, we have now started taking him out for walks, which he loves. But yesterday a couple heard us calling his name while playing at the beach. They came over and told us that it's insensitive as they lost an uncle to the virus. They said, how would we feel if we called their pet cancer or death? Oh my goodness. She asked Reddit if the name is truly offensive or if the couple overreacted. What's your vote? I don't know. I, it's overreacting because I, sadly, I, I think I the, the, the word is so commonplace now. Well, you know what, though, just in general, things like that are nobody's business. And the people that butt in, trust me, folks, if you ever butt in on me with something like that, I can be three times as rude right back at you. So <laughs> go ahead. I just can't imagine like walking along calling out COVID, here COVID. Yeah, but still, you know, it doesn't warrant somebody. You Let know, me just say, I've seen a lot some, worse some names Karen, for pets. Some Karen sticking their nose in, right? So, uh, well, anyway, so she asked Reddit if they overreacted. Most commenters thought the name wasn't great. They wrote, would you name a dog AIDS or go running around in public yelling, here AIDS, come here boy, that's a good AIDS. I mean, if nothing else, running around the beach shouting COVID, COVID could be construed as yelling fire in a crowded theater. Just not smart any way you slice it. And despite your story, I still have no clue why you would name a pet after a virus that has killed people. And, oh, that's my dog, 9-11. We call him that because we found him on that day all those people died. Pretty cute story, right? Well, no word yet, on, as if uh, no word if she listened to the majority and changed the pup's name. Well, like I say, I guess I'm in the minority because I really don't like it. It may be not, probably not a name that I would choose for a dog, but why not just call it pandemic? Everybody yeah. will identify with that or Omicron or something. But like, like I say, I just I don't see where it's really anybody mm -hmm. else's business. So. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to uh, bring to you this week a special showcase interview that I did with a friend and colleague of mine. Um, her name is Nancy Joyner. She is an advanced practice nurse with 40 years experience working as a palliative care clinical nurse specialist and a medical discussions expert and medical decisions advocate. Very, very powerful titles here as you'll hear throughout this interview. Um, I asked uh, Nancy if I could interview her specifically on the case uh, for hospice and palliative care. I know that a, a lot of hospice and palliative care issues are in the news nowadays, and um, 
again, I reached out to the expert, a medical discussions expert, medical decisions advocate. Uh, Nancy Joyner, com is her website. She's also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. She has just released or is about to release a second book on Amazon, What If the Doctor Asks You About CPR or Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation. And a first book is already up there, Through Maya's Eyes, My Life as a Therapy Dog. Um, this is a very important topic that sadly, at, at least personal experiences and, and my job-related experiences, um, the discussions for hospice and palliative care are never um, discussed and you know open to communication until sadly um, it's it's a necessary point instead of pre-planning as they say. So you'll hear a lot of information on how to start what uh, is often deemed an uncomfortable conversation, but by all means it's so important to have it done so you can make quote unquote your wishes known for your end of life care before it becomes a necessity. The last place, as you'll hear me tell Nancy, that you want to have this discussion is in an emergency room. It's so much better to have it in a, you know, a family calm setting where emotions are not so high. So please sit back and enjoy this interview with my dear friend and colleague, Nancy Joyner. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with pleasure that I introduce uh, Nancy Joyner to this week's episode of the Health and Humor Show. It's a showcase interview. Nancy is an advanced practice nurse over 40 years of experience and has worked as a palliative care clinical nurse specialist. Right now, her website, nancyjoyner.com here, she is listed as a medical discussions expert and a medical decisions advocate. And my personal reason for bringing her to today's um, interview is that there's been a lot of questions, a lot of interest from readers, listeners um, about hospice care and palliative care. And I myself am familiar with the basics of hospice care and nowhere near expert level for palliative care. So I found the expert and she is a dear friend, Nancy Joyner, welcome to today's show. Thank you, thank you for having me. I am delighted that you're here and very, very busy here. So people <laughs> stay tuned here because she has been busy with interviews all day as I have been on the other side here doing interviews. So um, I, I'm excited. A medical discussions expert, medical decisions advocate. That is a strong title. I've been and, impressed and with one, but very strong. And I'm very, very excited about it because that is my passion. My passion is all about communication, making sure that people have the information they need to make the choices that they want. You know, and, and palliative care to me is based on making sure people are, I call it four C's, making sure that they're comfortable because you can't have conversation if a person's not comfortable, then moving on to communication and conversations. And in those conversations, we include all the choices that are out there and then putting them in control of their decision, which we call shared decision-making because so many people don't know what they don't know. So we, I help to fill in those gaps. I'm the gap filler. Is what I and I think it's really important. You know, my background is emergency care. So it is acute care. And there are, there are tough conversations every day in an emergency room. And I think it's all come to a heightened level here during this pandemic that a lot of really tough questions and discussions between family members about end of life planning, about end of life care that never took place suddenly were taking place all too often because of the pandemic. And it's very uncomfortable. And so I think you'll agree as I've seen more and more on social media, 
the most important time to have these conversations is before, like yesterday. And what I've heard was almost cliches, the second best time is today. So today we have an expert with us. Thank you for being here. When, when we're talking about that specifically, the, the, um, we have what's called the National Healthcare Decisions Day, mm -hmm. April 16th, taxes okay. first, and then you, when you have the conversation. <laughs> Expert, expert but, planning committee yes but but their their tagline it always seems too early until it's too late oh profound from so a healthcare healthcare perspective profound you know it's kind of the 2020 you know hindsight is always 2020 and so it's very very important to have conversations my my bucket list goal would be to start conversations about healthcare choices etc in, in high school, when people have life skills and they learn about financial wills, maybe they should learn about living wills and healthcare agents. If they were in a car accident, who would speak for them? What would they want? You know, all that kind of stuff. So I do, that's, that's very unique that you said that. When I was in high school, you know, many, many years ago, um, <laughs> one, of our, one of our instructors became a financial planner and, you know, like life insurance salesperson. And so many of us thinking, well, we're 17 years old, you know, we all just went along with it and that. And surprisingly and heart, heartbreakingly so, a classmate of mine uh, was killed in a car accident only like six weeks after the fact. And whatever clause of insurance they had, they were able to cover all these so, so profound uh, incidents and expenses that occurred with his, you know, funeral expense and that. But as you said, you would never think of sitting down with teenagers and saying, let us plan for end of life. And as we have found out again, heightened by this current pandemic and all the fallout from it, um, there's no guarantees on we're all going to live to be 100 and we're all going to be in good health. And I think what's important is that it's not just age related anymore. It's Correct. not. There is end of life, sadly, occurring in all age groups and all generations and that. And so, it, as you said, the conversation needs to be taken care of and and the sooner the better because you don't want coming to my place of employment the er and having a disconnect as you lay in bed with your family members and your medical providers and i know we're both going yes we have seen it all too over, many times over <laughs> over, over exactly so if anything else just to stop conversations that don't need to be a part of a very uh, uncomfortable situation as well and like I said, you can't really, you have to do it proactively because you can't plan for it. You can't go, well, I'm not going to need this until next week or next year or next decade and that. So the sooner the better. But I know, I know about hospice. Both of my parents received end of life care through hospice. So I'm acutely aware of that. I, I won't claim to be an expert from the nursing perspective of hospice and that. But can you walk our, our listeners through hospice and palliative care and just that the basic differences because the term palliative care i will tell you in my nursing arena people don't hear about it and yet it's so important the more research i did i'm like why isn't this out there why isn't exactly it? it's more obstacles it's more grassroots because medicare back in the 1980s came up with a quote hospice benefit and that was based on, you know, a six-month prognosis. So you had to have a prognosis. You had to have a uh, incurable or a disease that was going over a period of time, which nobody knows. You know, none of us know our true what's going to be ahead for us. 
what's beautiful because all of hospice is palliative care but not all palliative care is hospice thank you palliative care if you if i do a quick comparison like not all dementias are alzheimer's you know there are many other kinds of them dementia is the big umbrellas palliative care is the big umbrella okay. and so palliative care is focused on people with serious illness not related to prognosis it focuses on like i said my four c's making sure people are comfortable we know what their wishes are you know the advanced care planning conversations that go along with it our goals of care planning conversations that go along with it that they're being heard and understood you know where are they what matters to them and so it's always it's way way upstream truly from hospice because it's not but it can also be a great bridge for hospice okay. you know when the time arrives but people come on and off the the specialty services as they need it pain and symptom management you know making sure they're comfortable having more of those conversations working with families you know having those dynamic conversations that's why i came up with my tagline medical discussions advocate you know and, and expert and advocate for them to make those decisions so very very important to be doing that conversations are so so important just they're, even they're, understanding their diagnosis versus prognosis people don't even understand those two words alone you yeah. know what, what's ahead well i know um the the palliative care and that as soon as and again, this is from an acute care perspective. This isn't in hospital care, much less end of life care or chronic care. Um, when the term, uh, when the offer for hospice care is made, um, a high percentage of people automatically hear, we're, we don't feel that we can offer anything else. We're kind of at the end of the ropes here. We, we don't have much to offer. And I was just wondering if you see that same perception when you mention palliative care, or is it, as I might imagine it, it's so not understood that maybe that there isn't a bias already formed? <laughs> well, the bias is everybody thinks palliative care is hospice care and the life care. So we have our, our, you know, the whole thing of awareness, education about it, and advocacy, because so many people don't understand where it is and where it falls along it. So if we put in the tag words of serious illness, mm -hmm. you know, where people can recover versus always, you know, chronic disease, end of life type things, that helps. And not based on what's ahead for them for that prognosis component of it. Mm -hmm. So any, anyone that has serious illness would qualify for services related to palliative care. And believe me, there's a lot of primary care palliative going on already. Okay, <laughs> we good. it already. You know, people are managing pain. You know, it's beyond the disease. It's all about the person. They're psychosocial, they're emotional, they're spiritual, all those different domains that we have to make it, you know, ethical, you know, cultural, all of it to who they are. You know, help me understand who that person is and I go from there. Okay, so it's not time-driven. It doesn't have to be initiated at any point like with X, the, you know, the prognosis of so many months left to live or anything. No prognosis based at all. Nope. Okay. So uh, can you give our listeners some examples of what illnesses, serious illnesses would fall under palliative care? Oh, anything and everything, basically. COVID for sure. <laughs> COVID is definitely one. It's serious, you know, and, yeah. and people can do that. But of course, like cancer, uh, people with end, end stage or even chronic uh, lung conditions or liver conditions, you know, different organs 
but we're, we're more, you know, many people have more than one kind of disease going on. And so we follow that, but it's when they have um, difficulties with either like the conversations, the complex components of it, that's when palliative care needs to come and work together with them. So for a diagnosis of cancer, then let me ask you, if you, if you were diagnosed with cancer and you're referred to an oncologist or radiation oncologist suspending chemotherapy versus radiation, for example, um, where would a palliative care consult be added in? We'd like it at the very get-go. In okay. fact, that's one of the, the ultimate with that, even, even if it's a curative, because we come along with curative care. And so we definitely can be there for from diagnosis on. Again, it's the fear of not understanding that we are not looking at prognosis and nearing end of life. You know, we're there for making that person whole. You know, we're not disease driven, we're person driven, you know, with what their needs are from symptoms and alleviation of pain and those good conversations that need to happen. Do you see um, where you're at um, that like oncologists are, are seeking out those referrals? Because it's my understanding, this can be, I've seen you know, uh, documentaries on it, this can be a specialty group. Like I, I'm saying, I, I've seen it in a hospital base where there was an oncology unit and this was an entire dedicated team. This Correct. wasn't you know, a, a, an additional order for something palliative in nature but a specialized team. And I think that's the big, the big takeaway here. It's not just, oh, here's some comfort measures, here's something else. It, it's a dedicated, knowledgeable team. We, we have, when you say that's, I'm so glad you brought that up. It is the team approach. It takes it, you know, like community, just like that, but it's all the different disciplines. We pull in therapies. We have music therapy. We have pet therapy. We have all these different, you know, things that go along with it where people don't see it as just disease driven anymore, which is so exciting. But we have chaplains that we include and social workers, psychologists, you know, all of it, you know, to make that person whole, whatever that person needs, what matters to them, that's what we're gonna focus on. Definitely. So we take it a little bit at a time. And it, is it my understanding that um, palliative care, if I'm not mistaken, can be um, introduced in in a hospitalization stay. It doesn't have correct. to be once you get out and stabilized, et cetera. I mean, it's it's from the get-go, correct? Correct. Can be done in the clinic, in the community, in the hospital. Um, it depends kind of where you live, you know. Right, um, right. But, but now we have things that are called like Project Echo, where we can reach out to different places that have that and say, hey, can you help us? And telehealth now and um, has been another one that we've been able to reach out to people no matter where they are. That's great. That's great. Um, so I, the cancer makes a lot of sense to me because I can see where immediately you're going to be given treatments that are going to cause a lot of, you know, common and not so common side effects and that, you know, without the right support and, and not knocking our, our family of medical, you know, I call everybody my big family in the medical and nursing world here. Um, but I can see how a specialist in one area would not be, for lack of better words, as open-minded in some of these, you know, treatment therapies. Like I can see like an oncologist, you know, a, a surgical oncologist would not go, they need music therapy. So I think it's very exciting when a whole team comes in. Um, and you said, and it's not just, um, you know, community-based. I mean, these are legitimate, you know, trained 
uh, healthcare professionals. It is a separate team from what I understand. Um, what other, well, let me ask you, first of all, um, age group wise, is there any restrictions for not at all here? Okay. I have, I've done, I've done newborn babies. Really? And my, the oldest person I've taken care of was 109. Sure. <laughs> so. Quality of life, definitely, definitely <laughs> quality of life issues there. But tell me without divulging privacy here. So for a newborn, what was, what was the palliative care? The serious uh, illness was the, um, the, the, the youngest one was, was weeks old i won't be very specific right, right. but had had um genetic conditions that were incompatible with life okay. so it wasn't you know we didn't know how long that child had we've had other children with um not only birth defects but did you know that a, a newborn can be born with cancer so a lot of people don't know that you know and so even even cancer they can have um, heart issues they can have all these other things that that are they're literally born with you know, versus, you know, things that develop shortly afterwards and onwards, you know, um, through, through their lifestyle. So, yep. Now, let me ask you the flip side, being the patient advocate that we both are. Mm -hmm. If a patient uh, hears this interview here and is interested in palliative care, can they, for lack of better words, initiate that request? Like Absolutely. go to their primary care doctor, yes. I need so tell me what wording they would use because I don't see I don't see a non-medical person going I need palliative care. So what Correct. kind of buzzwords should our medical world be listening to that would suggest let's let's consider palliative care? And and that's very interesting because we want people to advocate for that. And so you know where are they with understanding um, the progress of of their condition? Is someone going to sit down and go through? the trajectory of their health illness is someone going to explain advanced care planning to them um, is someone going to um, be able to I, I know we have you know there's a lot of people say well we already have care management out there we have navigators out there etc but there still is a definite place for that uh, for the complex serious ill you know people with serious illness and well, serious illness just in itself quality of life uh, impact on the caregivers themselves. You know, there's a brand new definition that's come out on, on serious illness that helps to explain it's not just the prognosis part and mortality part. It really has to do with how it impacts that individual. So quality of life, um, caregiving, uh, all of it, you know, fits together. It's very, very comprehensive and complex. But I think what's, what's great as you were saying that, I was writing this down because you, uh... You mentioned case managers, and we all have friends in our in our nursing world. Case managers, very very wonderful uh, group of people as well. And there is there is a blurring of the lines there, and I could see how that would happen. Well, that should be you know case management. But I think the more people involved in somebody's care, the more the trained set of eyes would see that it's become all too segmented care. Correct. Because right. I've got oh I have you know I. Like, and I can see somebody and I will probably meet myself and look, I'm already dealing with five or six, you know, healthcare people. I don't know that I could deal with somebody else. And I'm, I'm feeling like palliative care might be the person that comes in and goes, I'm going to, I'm going to oversee it all. I'm going to have those together. Right. right. We, we work very closely with the primary, you know, mm -hmm. the, the PCP to make sure, you know, are we on board? What's our goals? You know, that we we're all saying on the same page. When I have talk about fragmented, um, I had one time I was in the hospital. I segmented. <laughs> I'm going to do a scenario 
uh, again, it's HIPAA. And, um, I'm not going to say names, ages or anything, but I was in with a, a, a person that was not doing very well. Family was sitting there all distressed and the hospitalist comes running in and said, um, I, I think we're looking towards rapid response, you know, not a, a cold, but rapid response that this person's probably going to, well, between respiratory, et cetera, going to need to go to ICU. So we came in and tried to explain it. Shortly after that, then the, uh, I can't remember the exact order, but you'll get, the, you'll get the picture in a second here. So then the second person came in and um, what make the cardiologist or somebody said, uh, blood pressures are lowering. We're probably gonna have to put on IV pressors and you'll need to go to ICU for that. Uh, pulmonary came in and said, we might need to put a ventilator. I mean, they were just doing this. But then infectious disease came in and said, I just looked at your x-rays and they look like they're improving so that we might be able to take you off of IV antibiotics. So what do you think the family of that patient heard? Yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> well, I'm getting better. Why wouldn't I do all this other right. treatment? And in this case, it was very, very sad that the person ended up going to ICU and didn't survive, you know? Uh, you know, and it was, you know, that fragmented component of it, you know, that we all have to be on the same page with where are we going and what are our options? Do we have, you know, time-limited trials? Can we opt in or out out of something? Is this truly going to improve somebody's quality of life or are we just continuing because these treatments are there to do everything that might not be beneficial anymore? Yeah, and well, I think, I think if nothing else, uh, how you're describing palliative care, they could explain it better than five or six individual, you know, with their own section of, of care here, their own specialty care, trying to speak in their language. Yes. And the medical language alone is tends to be over the heads of many patients and to and to bring it down. I hate using the term dummy it down because I find it very yeah. offensive, but to bring it down to that that patients and that family members understanding that they can grasp it and understand enough to ask the right questions is so exactly. important. And here, here's one of the, another scenario that I will use is I'll use like a, a, a street light, the red, 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 green, yellow. And I'll say, well, how is, how is this functioning right now? And ask them, where do they think they are on the perspective, you know, with their breathing and, oh, you know, and so we have to put it all together with that, you know, and what's their, you know, what's their, their usual function? Where are they from their baseline? So many people think they're always gonna go back to where they were from their baseline. And we, we can't always guarantee that either. So there are just so many parts of it. CPR discussions all the time, you know, the allowing natural death versus attempting, because not everybody even understands that component. So just all those kind of conversations. And people can change, you know, within a day, you know, with, you know, just getting that information. It takes time to process. Yeah. That's the other thing. We spend a lot of time listening than <laughs> we do right, talking. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I've heard it all, all my um, all my career, all my life here. The more you listen, the more you learn. And you'll learn so much without saying a word. You just yeah. you'll hear where they're at, where they need to be, what, you know, you'll, you'll find the answer there. Let me ask you something. From an insurance standpoint, and I know we can't give a global answer here, um, right. do you feel insurance uh, coverage is... Um, amicable we're we're, we're to working on that. We're working on it very hard... Um, for different levels, for sure. It's just like if you went to a different specialty and they, they're billable, you know, like if you went to see a GI person or mm -hmm. if you went to see pulmonary, if they're billable, then palliative care will be billable. Most of the time it's considered under the general benefit, like an inpatient or like if, if they're um, seeing home health, it'll be part of that 
but we try to right now have the um you know the provider um, perspective that we can do it but we're working we're working real hard because um cms you know is totally seeing the benefit of it we're selling it you know finally and medicare medicaid blue cross blue shield many places are are seeing benefits of, so that the whole team will be inclusive with that you know so we, we're working on it we're working we're not quite 100 percent. i can't say state to state you know every exactly it is different too and but some places are getting more you know ahead of the games so we're kind of following suit so let me ask you then the the progression of palliative care to hospice care are you comfortable just walking us through that at what point who makes that determination i mean what types of discussions again you are the expert on these types of discussions here i could tell you personally you know how these conversations have gone good and bad but um, I would love to hear how it is directed or addressed or, or just how that decision comes. It, interesting, a lot of times the family members will start bringing it up or mm -hmm. the patient themselves. And a lot of times they already know where they are with things. But the thing is, is now uh, with insurance and Medicare, you have to have it the guru and follow all the guidelines. So there are definitely certain indicators for a person to be appropriate for palliative care and for, not excuse me, not palliative care. Correct. So they're they're more they're more um, structured guidelines for when the person is nearing end of life um, that they they we do talk about and and look for those um, referral triggers is what we call them and things too. So um, and each each person is unique because again they might have other comorbidities on and and things of that nature too that may add to it. Definitely, I love that. I love I I so appreciate you giving clarity to that because like I said I I could do it but I would only be reading other people, but it's the firsthand me, knowledge of it. Let me tell you, for every hospice agency that I work with, they usually have what we call our guru <laughs> that okay. knows you know, the, the qualifications, the requirements, et cetera, uh, because, and they have to elect it, but people can also revoke it. You know, like if they choose to call 911 and go into the hospital and then come back on again. And I mean, there's, nobody is locked into palliative care or in hospice. Mm -hmm. And I, I always like to tell people that because so many people think that, you know, they're going to be overtaken if they're in their home or they're going to be catered to in their home. And it, those things aren't that it's still, you know, who's the, the it's medical as we know is, is a business and finances. And so we always have to work out all those details too for people. Yeah. Well, I know from a, from an ER perspective, again, I just think it's really important because there have been there have been situations in an ER setting where you know the decision to go on hospice is made. It's certainly not the most uh, supportive environment to declare let's let's go on to hospice. Let's have a DNR status in that. But it, I think the learning point and it's becoming more acceptable dialogue is that you know especially the do not resuscitate and the hospice orders are not. I'm not going to treat you anymore. I'm okay. just not going to, yeah, I know you're, you're jumping so here. glad you say that. We do not abandon people. Right. We enroll. People don't go on hospice. It's not, you know, it's not a location and all the time. They might, you know, have like a hospice house and things, but they enroll in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a program with that comprehensive with the whole team. Right. And here's one that you may not know. You do not have to be uh, a law of natural death or a DNR to enroll in hospice. That can be further discussion when a person is, they still have the right and the option to call 911 if they want uh, you know, everything done. And sometimes things are necessary that they can't manage at the home 
um, and go that way too. I do know. I, go ahead. Go ahead. So that's so interesting, but the abandonment is the hardest one. People feel like all of a sudden now, if they enroll in hospice, they can't go see their oncology person or what, you know, they, that's still part of the, the team. In fact, we sometimes have doctors still go make home visits, believe it or not, and stuff, you know, so it's, it's kind of nice, you know, that, that people aren't going to be abandoned. And palliative care works so, so hard to fill in all the gaps is my my. Right way of feeling on it. I do know there's been, I, I know of personal incidents here where if I'm not mistaken, the the uh, enrollment in hospice was uh, led by a uh, diagnosis of less than, if, correct me if I'm wrong, six months correct. to live here. And I do know that several people have received such quality of life care during a hospice um, enrollment that they far exceeded those six months. And I have to, I have to quantify it or qualify that statement with it wasn't the disease process it was the extraordinary complementary therapies and everything else and that you know the the stress levels went down because those hard conversations were had and people just thrived in that environment and I know that uh, I, I just put it out there for anybody listening that I did enough research into it that you can for lack of better words, it can be re-upped or re-enrolled and that you can stay in there. It's not just six months and then you're going one of few. No, we've, we've had people on longer, but you can also be discharged, but not celestially from <laughs> hospice. <laughs> so, so a lot of people don't, they go, whoa, they really, you know, they graduated from hospice, but can come back on too. <laughs> so, yeah, there's just, there's so many things that people don't have all the pieces together and we just want the knowledge out there. We want the, you know, awareness and advocacy and, you know, people get the information that they need. In my entire career, I've never heard the term a celestial discharge. <laughs> so I just wrote it down. I wrote it down and I will use it at some point here. I use, when I was doing my, when I do some of my speaking, I will use that term and I get people to go, oh yeah, I get that. Yes, it's there, but yes. Uh, but I but I can be the negative that they're not celestially discharged too. You can go both okay. ways. So. Okay. Well, I do want to take a few minutes and and uh, promote your books here too. They are on Amazon. Um, the one that you have two books through Maya's eyes. My life is a therapy dog, and then a second book. Um, what if the doctor asked you about CPR or cardiopulmonary resuscitation? So if you just want to give a brief overview, um, I don't know much about the uh, through Maya's eyes, but I'm highly interested in the second book about when the doctor asked about, I'm guessing, do you want resuscitation? And that's just my input here, but go for it. <laughs> Correct. Just quickly on through Maya's eyes, it's a fun book. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had so much fun because we use local students to do the artwork for it. There are oh. photographs, there's artwork, it's, it's beautifully done. And I'll just quickly promote it because it's, it's a fun book, but it really does, you know, we went lots of different places and um, over many, many years and, and it's, it's fun. But my, my CPR book is really from the heart because I've had so many people ask me questions, you know, like, um, you know, you see what you, on, on the, you know, on ER and the TV shows and stuff and success rates and all of that. I want people to have, you know, the reality of, of when it is appropriate when it's maybe mm, let's let's give it a try, you know, type thing versus maybe it's not going to be beneficial anymore, right. you know, and not going to have the outcome that people are wanting for. 
So in my booklet, it's not very long, but in the in my booklet, I really go through. If the doctor asks you, let's have let's have you have an educated background about it to make you you know wise decisions for you. I give some kind of case study scenario type things. Very neutral value. It's not on anybody's. You know, everybody has the right to choose at any given time. But that is one thing that everybody from the time you're 18 on should have a, a, we're not always asked, but by default, we do everything until somebody tells us something different. And so I want people to have the education. So like if they don't get asked and they do want something different, and it's the same with all these other treatments, but, but CPR was a big one that I found that people didn't have the information that they needed, nor did they know when they would be asked. They always assumed that the doctor would choose you know, those choices. In other countries, it's kind of opposite, you know, that you have those discussions, otherwise we allow natural death. So it's, it's interesting how we, in our country, we have the Good Samaritan laws, everything, you know, that we're gonna keep trying and make people as comfortable as we can, but, you know, do everything until we have conversations and make other medical decisions about that. I agree that it's one of the toughest conversations. And like I said, I will tell you from my heart, you don't want to have it in an emergency room. You don't want to have it while somebody's in a hospital bed. So um, I would implore everybody to, to check the book out. What if the doctor asked you about CPR or cardiopulmonary resuscitation? It is a conversation that, as, as we said at the top of the show, needed to happen yesterday. And the second best option is today here. Yeah. But like I said, it's not, it's not an age, you know, people... And I remember thinking that too, I'm, I'm a teenager, I'm in my early 20s, I have the whole world in front of me and I would never have thought it. I do remember as you were talking, how odd it is now when I look back that um, when I got my driver's license, they immediately wanted to know if I was an organ donor, but they didn't really care if I had done end of life, you know, paperwork. <laughs> so, in the state of Minnesota is the only one that asks about. Really? Yeah. Okay. Where, you know, so that's the first time that you ever asked about your mortality. I know you just as you were saying that I was thinking that's so crazy that they would ask. Also becomes like a, more of a threat and, and fearful of it too. Yeah. I do for all the audience, the two things, the two websites I'd recommend you to go to. One is called Go Wish. Go Wish is a card game. You can actually buy the cards or you can play it online with some of those kind of hard conversations. I played it with a four generation family, including a nine year old. Marina, it was just amazing. You know, when you're talking about when do you even have start these conversations? And then it was the other three generations of, okay. of that. And and she was pretty, you know, I was really amazed on, you know, how well she did. At GoWish.com? Go, go Wish, not Go Fish, but GoWish.com. Okay. And, and like I said, you do the cards and stuff. And it's a male voice. They read the cards. There are 36 cards, including a, a wild card. But it talks about all those dynamics of us, social uh, physical, emotional, especially, you know, if you're in a time of crisis and serious illness, things that you might want to think about. The other one that I'd highly recommend is called the conversation project about having these conversations. They have a video that they show that goes through what it's like. Uh, Diane Sawyer actually does it and goes through what it's like to have this act. And they did it on a, somebody's birthday. Well, I thought, whoa, that's quite a d- birthday present, but <laughs> But, you know, a conversation from the heart, you know, and how important that, that, you know, the estate planning from the heart instead of just the financial and stuff. So those are a couple of just good references that people can look at. Along, come to my website and, and find me and, you know, feel free to reach out to me too. Definitely. NancyJoiner.com here. 
And I, I love the, the, the official, I'm going to say the official title unless you tell me otherwise, a medical discussions expert, medical decisions advocate. That's I just think it's a profound uh, title and a position in, in healthcare. And like I said, conversations, uh, conversation project, I, I'm looking at one here, the starter, <laughs> the fire starter of it. So listen, uh, we're coming up to the end of this uh, segment here. I don't want to cut you off, but I can't thank you enough for taking time out of an ultra busy schedule here to uh, enlighten us on palliative care and those difficult discussions that many of us, including myself at an earlier age, just kind of put to the side here and uh, sadly have come to realize that that is something that needs to be done front and center here. So I'm just, going to, I'm just going to ask everybody, are you over 18? Yeah, definitely. You can start definitely. the conversation. So, and, the, and, the, and for anybody who's thinking, why is she saying that? Obviously I'm, I'm reading into it because under 18 parental consents would be the driving force on that. Right. So right. that's your cut point. And like I said, if you're old enough to drive, you're old enough to have this conversation. That's my tagline for the day here. So with that, Miss Nancy, I'm going to close this out here. If you will hold on a second, I'm going to stop recording, but still talk to you for a second, okay? Sounds good. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, that pretty much concludes this week's edition of the Health and Humor Show. Again, nancyjoiner.com, a fabulous interview. Please give her some feedback. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we are coming to you on podbean.com. We're also on iHeartRadio, iTunes. Google Podcast, Audible, TuneIn, Pandora, and Spotify, with special thanks again to the team at UKHealthRadio.com, which is home of Health Triangle Magazine, and HamiltonRadio.net out of Trenton, New Jersey, with CEO and founder Jean Piero. Check out all the links on my website, MaureenSullivanRN.com. We'll tie it all together. Keep in touch. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, we wish you a happy, healthy, and safe week ahead on the Health and Humor Show family. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're uh, we're running over, so we don't have any time for the outro music today. But uh, have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we will see you back here next week on the Health and Humor Show.